1: All right, the show today brought to you by MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my bonus code, Kevin DC, and you'll get your first deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Let them know that you got the information from me. Kevin DC is the promo. And if you deposit $1,000, they'll give you an extra $500 bucks to play with. Plenty of NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, all of the NFL prop bets, including. All of the week one lines are up. If you're big into the Euro soccer, they've got you know multiple opportunities to wager on that. They've got an online casino and more. MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC and you'll get your first deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Two guests on the show today. J.P. Finley is here with me to start the show and then David Aldridge is going to join us and we're going to talk some NBA playoffs. And you know, I actually right before... Calling you, um, JP, uh, I quickly went to your Twitter account because I always do that when we have this is, you know, one of the things all of us do when we have a guest. We'll quickly go to see what they've been talking about on Twitter. Um, And you said, Barkley's talking about what matters to players. And then Kenny casually drops a Dean Smith note, best sports show ever, which it is. It's the best studio show of certainly like the last quarter century. What did Kenny Smith say about? dean smith
2: it was it was just a really cool conversation where barkley was kind of talking about how the Suns have transformed so much and um and then kenny just dropped this thing in where dean never wanted his guys to be in a box he wanted everybody to have a role but like they could be kind of like that his players could kind of be whatever they wanted to be and if they wanted to talk to him about ideas or whatever he was always open to it and it's just it's just crazy to think that he's talking about Dean Smith, like you know, arguably one of the top coaches of all time. It was just a cool moment.
1: Yeah, I you know um, I love that about. It's funny. Uh, this is we're going to get to Washington football talk in, here in a moment, but uh, the difference between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. I, I've had this conversation many times before, whether it was with Tommy or Cooley or a guest or whatever. You understand that Michael Jordan's experience, which included three years of college at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, is majorly impactful on his life. You know, he's a Carolina man. He's part of that Carolina family. He's got that Carolina, you know, bond with so many people. And I think guys like LeBron James, who never went to college, really missed out on a big part of life, um, and I'm not saying that he hasn't had other experiences, but the one thing that that you know, documentary about Michael um, that we all watched early on in the pandemic, like he was—he's a Carolina guy through and through. You know, and I don't know if it takes more than one year to become part of that family. I don't know, you know, if the Duke guys that only go for one year feel that connection to Duke and Coach K and the fan base. But I really think the guys that, that didn't have that missed out on something.
2: Totally. I, and, I mean, some of it's just like that maturation process of your life. Of course. I, I mean, I think, to like, my time in college, I don't know how much I remember from classes, but I grew up. And learn to be an adult, whereas you know LeBron, LeBron was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was fifteen or something, right? Like that—that that guy's life was just incredibly different. But I—I I, would—they definitely it missed out on something, but had a million other opportunities, I guess.
1: Yeah, but there's something missing, I think, in his overall look. I—I um I mean, I didn't mean to get into this conversation, but. Um, a good friend of mine is this guy, Darren McClinton. Darren's father, Harold McClinton, was the middle linebacker of the Redskins in the 70s, died tragically um, at too young of an age. But Darren and his brother, Kevin, were good, great high school players at Springbrook and really good college basketball players. Kevin played at Maryland. And Darren, I think, is still one of the top two or three all-time scorers at James Madison. But you know, I've gotten to know Darren over the years, and he played in like 13 different countries you know in a long international career and I've had conversations with him and others like him I actually think beyond just what Michael Jordan had with the Carolina bond the guys that ended up playing overseas they had an exposure and a life exposure that not even the guys that were NBAers from day one and never let the NBA never left the NBA had. I, I think it's it's interesting, and you, you can tell in some of the conversations that I've had with him, you know, over the years that that all of those experiences, you know, made him like a different person in in a, in a really good sort of overall, you know, well-rounded way. But anyway, getting sidetracked here. Um, Real quickly, have you enjoyed the NBA playoffs? Because I love them.
2: Yeah, it's been fun to watch. Um, I, I find myself rooting for the Suns and the Bucks. Uh, I don't really know why, but I am. Have...
1: Yeah, I'm definitely rooting for the Clippers. Like, I definitely feel like I have a horse in the race because Kawhi Leonards, I think, is my favorite player in all of team sports. And I would love to see him do what he did two years ago when we had a real postseason, and that is sort of strap a team to his back. I, I think this tonight's game is crucial. Um, but uh, I've enjoyed it. I thought the, you know the intensity of these that games Raptors have been run great. Was awesome. What'd I you love say?
2: that Raptors run. The Raptors run was awesome. I I have a minor investment on the Bucks to win it all, so I'd be pretty happy if that happened. But. 20 bucks, so it's not a big
1: deal. Well, I think it can happen now. I think, uh, and I talked about this on the radio show this morning, the one thing about the game yesterday when Kyrie Irving went out, of all the superstars, just call it like the top five to ten players, which of course Durant is, you know, a top three player, uh, most would agree. The thing that Durant lacks is the ability to be a facilitator. LeBron is a facilitator. Even Harden when he wants to be as an ISO player, can facilitate. Steph, the big guys like Jokic and even Embiid, you saw Durant really struggle when he's got to be everything for a team. He is much better as sort of the recipient of a facilitator. And I, I think that if Kyrie doesn't come back or Harden doesn't come back, this series is over. I don't think that, I don't think Durant can do it um, by himself, you know, by himself or as a guy that has to make others much better. I think we saw that. Yeah, as a... I
2: mean, in that you're you're kind of right. Like not to call him one-dimensional because he's so elite at scoring, but he's not a facilitator. I, did, did you ever think Joe Harris would be that good?
1: Um, I knew he was. I, I knew he had a chance with his size to be a really like if he got in the right situation to be a really good shooter. That's what I always thought because he's sick. You know, he's every bit of 6'6 and had the quick release at UVA. But um, no, I mean, and they need him desperately now. I mean, especially now, yeah. Especially now. Um, All right, let's talk minicamp. You know, I, I think there were a lot of conversations that came out of last week. Personally, I don't know how much we learn. Um, you're closer to the conversations with some of the people in the organization. Um, before we get to the whole quarterback thing, um, what did, did, did they learn anything? Did the coaching staff learn anything about their team? Any players? Did anybody stand out? Did you hear a name come up over and over again? Uh, off the three days of mini camp plus the whatever number of days of OTAs they had?
2: I think one thing they've learned that they're happy about is the, the speed difference. They've really worked overall team speed, and you can see it. Uh, wide out, they're faster. Linebacker, they're faster. Um, wide out, they're just better. And some of that is how bad they were before. Dude, when they broke camp last year, I've said this a million times because it's astounding, Four of their six wide receivers were undrafted. You cannot have that concentration of undrafted players at a skill position and expect to compete. It's just remarkable. Um, so I mean, they've completely overhauled the receiver position, which was a need, and they've done I think a good job of it. We didn't even see Curtis Samuel. Um, I think I think there's I think it's the best roster since Gibbs 2006. Era, but I think there's serious depth questions. I, I like if Chase Young or Montez Sweat miss a game, you're, you're talking about Shaka Tony and Casey Tuhill. I don't know, man. Um, there are real depth questions, and I think you need Benjamin St. Juice to be good, and it looks like he could be. He has good size and speed, and I think if he's able to play, he can. If he's able to be an outside corner, they can put Kendall Fuller back in the slot. Um, I, I think they have a lot of flexibility with their secondary. Um, I also think for all the Landon Collins consternation, there's an easy path there for the organization. I, I think he starts on the pup list, and that kind of eliminates a lot of a roster battle decision. He, he, he tore his Achilles basically on Halloween last year and people are worried about him playing linebacker in August, like, that's a that's a year injury, always. Um, so those are
1: some thoughts off the top of my head. It's interesting that you went to the D-line to start with, the strength of this football team, and you talked about the depth. So... Um, do Are they concerned about, you know, if young or sweat go down? You know, they, they James Smith-Williams, the seventh-rounder out of, out of NC State last year, they obviously liked him a little bit. They not only kept him, but they played him snaps and games down the stretch. Um, is there anybody
2: more this year? I'm sorry? Well, I'm not – like, I think James Smith-Williams will play more this year. I'm not saying even if they go down, but, like, the number three DN is going to play – 15% of the snaps in a game, maybe 20. So, like, they need a rotational third guy at least, if not four. And it's just remarkable when you let Kerrigan go. And even Ryan Anderson, I mean, he's at least a veteran. You're going to have James Smith Williams and then the uh, the Baylor guy, the Baylor late-round pick this year, William Bradley King. Um,
1: Shaka like Tony from Penn ready. State, yeah.
2: going to see these guys on the field and it's if there is an injury you got big questions but i mean those are probably the two best players on the team so if there's an injury to those guys you got big trouble anyway
1: that's Uh, funny because i had this conversation with a friend of mine and he said who's the second best player on the team after chase young and i said it's montez sweat i i i think you can make the case
2: probably mclaurin
1: but, I think it's sweat or pain over McLaurin. I think the two of them actually – well, let me let me rephrase. I think the two of them have a higher upside. I think the two of them could end up at one point in their career being considered the top five at their position. I don't know if Terry McLaurin will end up be, being considered the top five at his position. So maybe it's upside think, I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, like if you think about it as an all-pro, we're only – you know the, the absolute best in the NFL get named. I don't think Terry McLaurin will ever be an all pro. I think Payne could, right? And maybe Sweat could too. I, I, it's a good art, yeah, that's a good argument. Um, but I also, the flip side with Terry is, I, I mean, he had 1,100 yards last year with some of the worst quarterback play in the NFL. I, I wonder, I don't know that Fitz is the guy, but I think he'll be better than what they had last year. I mean, I, I wonder if you put, McLaurin on the on uh the Bucks or, or just somewhat you put McLaurin on the Cowboys with Dak, like a good but maybe not elite quarterback, and I wonder what his numbers look like.
1: Yeah, and you know, they're theor- theoretically right now on paper you're gonna have a quarterback that's gonna chuck it down the field and take more chance and give uh, receivers more opportunities. By the way, back to Landon Collins for a moment. You said you wouldn't be surprised if he starts the list, uh, starts the season on the pup list. Would you be surprised if he weren't on the roster?
2: That's kind of their way around it. it, it, it he doesn't occupy a roster spot True. if you go pup and then IR. And then you're able to have all your young safety. Think about the So, girls obviously on the roster. They just signed Bobby McCain, who looked good in minicamp. Uh, the Shazer Everett, Derek Forrest, who they just drafted, Jeremy Reeves, who Ron talked a lot about how much he liked him late last season. Right. I and mean, that's five dudes at safety before you even get to Collins. And as far as I don't, I mean, the cap situation is just so problematic to release him. I, I, I think the pup to IR is a kind of easy workaround for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Landon Collins contract, in terms of dead money, was just going to be a couple million, right? Wasn't that it, or not?
2: No. So if, if, you, if they did it before June one, it would have been like sixteen. Yeah, but and now I right. think it, and now it, now you're able to split it up over this year and next, so it, it drops. But it's still a big hit to take. I mean, it's. I look at Landon it, Collins as the last of the yacht picks
1: right it was but, but I guess what I was saying it, it, like it was sixteen million versus the base salary, which was twelve or whatever, so over two years, whatever, back to John Allen for a moment, or back to the defensive end situation, if they got into a bind, do you think John Allen is the guy they they view as an inside guy with flexibility?
2: that's a really good question i I don't know if he has the to be on the edge. I mean, his body, like, if you look at Chase and Montez, and those guys are freak athletes, right? But even look at Kerrigan, the build of John Allen is just, is very, very different. Um, and Kerrigan wasn't necessarily a speed guy. He was kind of a bull rush, get inside leverage guy. I, uh, I mean, if they're in a bind and somebody has to, of the ionitis, settle, pain, Allen, I guess it would be Allen, but I can't imagine that's what anybody wants to happen. Right.
1: Um all right. JP Finley um joining us. Uh listen to his uh Redskins Talk Podcast or Washington Football Team podcast, wherever you get a podcast. Um, with his guys he's also of course now on WJFK 106.7 The Fan hosting 10-2 to 2 with Brian Mitchell he's actually on his way into work and he's um, kind enough to spend a few minutes here all right let's just talk about the quarterback stuff from last week you know Rivera sort of intimating a competition um, I'll start with that do you believe him or not
2: No, well, it, it fits his job um, he'd have to He'd have to perform incredibly bad to not be the week one starter, in my opinion. Look at the money. Look at – I mean, I I was there at minicamp, right? Like, I saw Heineke look good. Heineke got zero, zero snaps with the first team, not one. So until that starts changing, until Heineke's out there with the first team and you actually see fits with the second team – then maybe there's an actual competition. But I don't expect any of that.
1: Well, I agree with you completely. Um, I, I think actually a more interesting conversation is if Kyle Allen's just totally good to go when training camp starts and can take every single snap and every single rep that he's available to take, I, I think the, the bigger issue for Heineke is can he win the number two job. What do you think?
2: That's an interesting point. Um, I don't see it that way. I think it's. I think Heineke is the number two guy. Um, I think with Kyle, I, just I'll look at the money and the when they signed. I mean, they they made a point to get Heineke done, and then they got Kyle done after that. Now, some of that is. I think they were both RFA's anyway, so it's not like they were going to lose them. Um, I think Heineke has a little more guaranteed money than Kyle does, but it's all. I mean, it's very relative compared to what. You know, a big contract or anything. Um, but I'll, I'll say this I've watched Kyle Allen last year in camp, and he's not hes not the best practice quarterback because he's looking to make plays and tra- run around and, and get downfield. And that translates more in games. But Heineke's kind of the same guy that he runs around and is a little bit reckless with his body. But Heineke looked good in practice. <laughs> I think Heineke's understanding of Scott Turner's offense is on like an innate, in-depth level. That even though Kyle Allen's been in the system a long time, I just think Heineke runs that offense the best of any of these quarterbacks we've seen, and it's like intuitive to him. And the ball's coming out faster, and he doesn't have this. I mean, his arm is certainly the weakest of those three, but the ball is just where it needs to be all the time. Um, I, I, honestly, you and I have made some, some some QB bets in the offseason. <laughs> I want odds I want odds that all three of them start this year. That's what I want. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'd have to think about that. I mean, you know, for me, their actions in the offseason spoke volumes. You know, they went out with the purpose of trying to find a starting quarterback for 20 21 and maybe even 2022 in the case of Stafford, even beyond that. You know, uh, if you think about, if you start adding up all of the quarterbacks that we know they were interested in and even made offers on, um, and then the ones that there were, you know, stories about, we could come up with a half dozen quarterbacks, which just tells me that. Um, you know, what they had, they just were not confident in. Whether it was because they didn't think that Heineke Heineke could remain upright or Kyle Allen would be ready or that neither one of them is just good enough overall to be the lead guy. Um, Neither one of them is terrible as a backup in a pinch, and Heineke proved that last year. Um, But I I think that really – you know, any one of those odds, you know, if you're just putting odds out there, you can't do it with, you know, obviously the injury being um, some sort of, you know, voiding of a bet. Because I think if Fitzpatrick's healthy, I think there's a pretty good chance he starts 16 games unless the season completely gets away from them. And then, you know, at towards the end of the year, they start starting, you know, they let Heineke get a couple starts or Allen get a couple of starts. I think three quarterbacks yeah. is a long shot this year. Uh, I mean, I in just thinking about it, every bit of on three quarterbacks starting a game. What would you? What do you think the odds would be?
2: Quite long, honestly. What's
1: qui- what's quite long? Twenty-five to one,
2: something uh, like that.
1: I don't think they're that long. I, I. Yeah, I mean, if if injuries are a part of the. The calculus here—it's probably like it's like eight to one. That you know, there's like one.
2: Is you've got to include injuries as part of the calculus. I mean, for all the Heineke excitement over the last week, ten days in this town, he got hurt in a walkthrough. He got—he had to get stitches, and he chipped his tooth during a walk. Not everybody's excited,
1: by the way. I think that's—I think that's the way we're reading it. But I, I, I think there are a lot of people that are excited, but I wouldn't put it at the majority.
2: Fair. I, I don't even mean excitement over his play, just the topic of conversation.
1: Yes, agreed. Right? Fair.
2: But, uh, like, the the injury stuff with him is absolutely very real. So, but here's all I'm saying. I was thinking about this this morning. They've averaged three quarterbacks a season, starting quarterbacks a season, for the last three years. Yeah. And, and and a lot of that is just incredible, fluky bad luck and bad roster management and bad draft picks. Like, there's a confluence of events that have led them to that, but it still has happened. And so I think – I think – they would absolutely. That's why love. it's not twenty-five
1: it, it, to one. That's why it's like, especially with the injury history of both Allen and and Heineke. If either one did get in there, let's just say because they were, you know, they were four and nine going into their final four games, the odds are they'd be healthy and you'd get they get injured and you get the third quarterback. So I think it's like a, a six, seven, eight to one kind of a thing. By the way, JP, serious question here. Yeah. Uh, JP won a significant bet from me last year, which was that Alex Smith would start. I was not trying to bring that up. Well, I'm bringing it up. I, I don't. Okay. I, I I gave you all the credit in the world, and and it's still, by the way, a bet that has not been paid. But it's been largely because of you know pandemic and restaurant capacity, et cetera. But we're we're gonna we, we, you, you know we, we we're gonna settle yeah, on that.
2: I'm not zero concern.
1: Um, but if. If Kyle Allen had not gotten hurt after he replaced um, Dwayne Haskins, what are the chances that Alex Smith would have ever seen the field? None. Okay. Because you didn't think so in the moment. You thought Kyle Allen was a bridge. I think it was you. Alex? Yeah. I think it was you. It could have been somebody else. If I'm mistaken, let me know. But when they finally went away from Dwayne, I remember you and I talking. I don't know if it was on the air or off. And you said you think it's a bridge to Alex. And I said, I don't think it is. I think they really, Scott in particular, really likes Kyle Allen. And if he. Well, pl-
2: I'm try- I, I may have even written that in hindsight last year. But here's why I say no now is like what we kind of know now
1: is what Ron between- said.
2: Yeah, like kind of what Ron said on the record, and then kind of some of the stuff that's emerging about the divorce and how Alex felt here. Like, I don't know, I don't know how great everything was going between Alex and Ron, right? Right. Like, I think we kind of know that now too. Um, But at the time, we didn't know that. So, uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, so like if Kyle was terrible, would they have gone to Alex? I think he would have had to because they were in the race for the division. I don't think Kyle was markedly better or worse than Alex was. He just got hurt.
1: Because I think our bet was Alex can play, but if it's it's got to be more than a ceremonial snap.
2: Yeah. Right. It
1: was. <laughs> and, it, and it was it was start.
2: I think we specified start a game and like play the whole game.
1: Right. Exactly. Um all right. What else you got? I know you got to get in and get your show going. Um anything remarkable about last week anything that you know you you've been talking about on your show that we haven't talked about right here
2: um i like cosme he, he's yeah, got me too. he's got kind of like a sheriff attitude about him just kind of nasty and and you want that in your o-lineman and um for all the consternation about the morgan moses release it, it listen it undoubtedly hurts their death you, you cannot argue that the, the football team wouldn't argue that. But the market also kind of talks. like He's still available, you know what I mean? Um, which, which I find kind of interesting.
1: It's so funny because I was going to say to you, there's one thing I think they're not concerned about, and that is losing Morgan Moses. I think they're really excited about their offensive line and their their options there. Um, yeah, and, and, when
2: Ron, Ron wants his young guys to play, and he wants to build a young nucleus on this team. Right. It is crazy, Kevin, how much they have flipped that roster. I mean, the hell, the whole building. Like, I imagine someday I will walk into Redskin Park again, and I'm not going to know a soul in there. It's crazy for, you know, I mean, it is a, it is a new day in Ashburn.
1: Well look in in many ways not to even remotely give you know Bruce Allen or Jay Gruden or anybody that was there before credit for this but they realized especially on defense after 2016 2017 just how old and slow they were uh, Jay told yep. me that on, on this podcast he said we were so bad on defense we were so old and slow that the whole focus over the next few years was going to be about getting better and faster and younger on defense and that's why it went in order Alan Payne in the draft you know and then sweat by the way which all the football people wanted and so Dan threw him a you know threw him a, a bone and traded back up into the first yep. round so they could get sweat.
2: Dude, you'll love this. I was thinking about this. If Alex doesn't get hurt, or they don't force the Haskins pick at 15, and so the two guys they liked were Brian Burns, who went, I think, 16 to the Panthers, and Sweat, they obviously liked. Well, they liked the, Mar- they like the
1: Maryland safety, too, that ended up in Green Bay.
2: Okay. You, you can have your pick there, yeah. right? <laughs> Um, what was it? what's his name? I'm I'm blanking, bl- his I'm, name.
1: I'm blanking on his name too. It's um, uh, uh Savage Darnell Savage Darnell Savage yeah, Darnell
2: Savage yeah. Um, so say they take one of those guys there, right? And maybe Alex ever got hurt. Maybe Ron they hire Ron a year earlier and he he gets to start things. Whatever it is, they take one of those guys there. The next year they they still are awful and they land with the number two pick. I think. I think you got to figure Tua would be in D.C. at that
1: point. Yeah, and you know it's a question that I've done on radio because
2: nobody was taking Herbert. I know, I I understand
1: that. But if right now you could you you could redraft twenty twenty, I take Herbert and and I don't take Chase Young.
2: Sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but no, no,
1: no. In the moment, you're right. It would have been Tua. It would have been Tua, no doubt.
2: I think if you can redraft that draft, it goes. Burrow, Herbert, Chase, and then Tua.
1: Definitely. No which doubt. pretty
2: remarkable. Like, I mean, all, like, actually,
1: I think some people at this point would say the the, the corner from Ohio State that went to the Lions, um, uh, Okuda. I think some people I would hope, take yeah. him before Tua.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's real questions to Tua, which is pretty remarkable because we signed the guy that they benched to play Tua.
1: Exactly. well but but you know I had um I had Bobby McCain on the show I asked him about that and he said it was a major surprise in the locker room nobody wanted that was an organizational decision it was not because Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't playing well they were three and three and he was having a really good season and I think that's a playoff team if he starts 16 games
2: yeah I agree it's I'm fascinated to see Fitzpatrick. I really am.
1: I am too. Um,
2: I think I think he's gonna be quite good, but we had um Ike Reese on the radio show the other day and Ike Reese said I mean you, you gotta remember Ike Reese played for the Eagles when Ron was their linebackers coach. Like he knows Ron well. And he said he's like you got the best coach in that division, you got the best defense in that division. Washington should win that division. You just got to have realistic expectations with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think I always call it aspirin syndrome. I think there's a little, perhaps too much excitement about what Fitz could be. And I do think we should kind of dial in our expectations, but I crunch the numbers. His last three seasons is when he has said, and Scott Turner has said that they really think he kind of figured it out. Um, he's got a one and a half to one touchdown to INT ratio. So if he can maintain that this fall, I think he starts seventeen games and I think they're a playoff.
1: Yeah, I mean in many ways that's the number one question. By far it usually is, unless you've got one of the elite guys. Um I, I still I have I, I have a lot of um optimism about the defense taking the next step. But I also am not blind and naive enough to think that what I saw in that playoff game didn't happen and that was somehow it was an aberration. They got run on last year. They've got to improve oh, yeah. their their next line. The linebackers have to be improved. They've got to become a better run-stopping defense or they'll be a good defense but not the elite defense that we think it needs to be to really make hay against that schedule and against the teams you know in the NFC that are clearly a cut or two above. Of on paper going into the year
2: big difference beaten Ben DiNucci and uh, yeah. Patrick Mahomes
1: seven of the wins five of the seven wins came against backup or even third string quarterbacks last year um I got to run because you got to run. So go do your radio show. Listen to J.P. and Brian Mitchell every day, 10 to 2 on 106.7 The Fan. That's our sister station now. We're both owned by Entercom. and J.P.'s podcast. Of course, anywhere you get a podcast, follow him on Twitter at jpfinleyNBCS. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Jeff. See you, buddy. Up next, David Aldridge right after these words from a few of our sponsors. is a big part of The Athletic. Um, I'm a subscriber. I always talk about it when we have Ben on or somebody else from The Athletic, Tark, et cetera. Um, I urge everybody to subscribe to The Athletic. It's totally worth it, not just for the local people who cover all of the local teams, but... The national writers are exceptional as well. It's a very good value proposition. Um, So I encourage everybody to do that. It's been a while since we talked. In fact, uh, you know, I was remembering the last time I had you on was basically a year ago. You know, after Wes Unseld um, passed away, Um, and uh, and and his name came up recently. In fact, I want to say that um, I saw some sort of statistic this morning that said. Uh, Chris Paul's age um, – no, no, no. It was Jokic. Jokic getting eliminated in four games as an NBA MVP has only happened like five times. Magic and Kareem both, remember, got swept by the Sixers, the Moses Sixers. Mm -hmm. Um, But that Wes Unseld, who, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, was the MVP's rookie year, right, in Baltimore? Yeah,
3: MVP and rookie
1: of the year. In the same year, and they were swept – out of the playoffs, I think by the Bucs in the NBA Finals. If I'm, if my memory serves, well, me
3: correctly. no, that would have, that would have been seventy one when it got swept by the Bucks. But they, I'm sure they got swept. It may have been the Knicks. It could it have been like the Knicks. Knicks back in those days. Okay, <laughs> yeah.
1: So da- David, um, as everybody knows, longtime you know reporter and sideline on television for TNT, um, etc. Um, wrote a story that I read um, yesterday. Uh, about no LeBron James, no Splash Brothers, as in no Steph Curry, no Clay Thompson, no Warriors. So many say they want new playoff blood, but will you watch? I think it's in a it's a really interesting conversation because a lot of my friends who are basketball fans are not into these NBA playoffs, and David, I've, I've tried to make the case that they're really missing something. The intensity, I thought it was good in the bubble last year, personally, but I think the intensity of these games and some of the performances, the individual performances, you know, whether it was Lillard's 55 or Kawhi's 45 in Game 6, we've seen some incredible individual performances. I'm enjoying these playoffs. What is your take, and do you think people are watching?
3: Well, I mean, it's a big question, Kevin. Um, you know, the the macro is that the ratings for the first round were up um, a little bit over, uh, well, certainly over last year. But you know, last year you can't really judge last year. They 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 didn't start the they didn't start the playoffs till September, right. You know, like they were going up against the NFL, which is just you know death. You just can't do that. Your ratings are going to suffer. They were playing playoff games at at ten in the morning Pacific time. Um, people weren't watching you know there's a you were in the middle of a global pandemic and a very contentious presidential election if people were watching television they were not watching sports they were watching something else as evidenced by all the ratings for every event last fall being historically low you know whether it was baseball or or tennis or golf or indy 500 whatever it was um but the ratings for the first round this year were a l- up a little bit over 2019, which is the last year you can really kind of make a. Season. And that's not even apples to apples, but it's close. Um, now the ratings for the second round will probably be lower, <laughs> and uh, and the reason is that you know you don't have um, some of the more compelling matchups that that you had hoped. I mean, everybody was hoping for a long series between Phoenix and Denver, and and. Phoenix took care of business. They throttled them. Um, you know, the, the Bucks series started off badly for the Bucks, but they won the last two games. Um, and now Kyrie's heard along with Harden, so we don't know how that's going to go. Um, but the, the prediction by most folks is that the second-round ratings will be lower. My big point with this, Kevin, is that for years, if you cover the NBA, you, there's just this segment of Twitter, and I and I think it's a lot of bots and performance performance artists, but but there's this segment of Twitter that always says how much they hate LeBron James and they're sick of LeBron James and why is it? the NBA is always kowtowing to LeBron James and they don't like him because he wins. They don't like him because he forms super teams. They don't like him because he's in the LA with the Lakers. And they're sick of LeBron James and they think we all kiss the Warriors ass and we just get we never say anything critical about the Warriors. And so my point was okay, you guys say you want variety, you want different teams in the playoffs. You got it. This is the year of different teams in the playoffs. There's eight teams, well, there were eight teams left in the postseason, none of whom have won an NBA title since 1983. So if you want different, you got it. Now are you going to watch it? Is my question. Are you going to watch it? Are you going to watch a uh, potential Milwaukee Utah NBA Finals? Will you watch it on, you know, a team whose best player is Giannis Antetokounmpo, <laughs> who's from Greece and of Nigerian descent? Against the Utah team, whose whose best player is Donovan Mitchell, who is not a household name, um, and who's who has a, which has a bunch of international players on it, are you going to watch that? Because if you don't watch it, it speaks to a certain hypocrisy on the part of of NBA fans. And so that was my question that I wanted to ask in that
1: story. By the way, I loved um, the links you pr- provided in your story to some of the CBS opens to NFL yeah. games and then, you know, um, Lakers-Celtics game 6-85, and 85, which the Lakers won to win the title after they had lost in 84. I play a lot of that stuff on my radio show all the time because <laughs> just to hear Summerall's voice, you know, in the intro. Yeah. And and you yeah. sort of were making the point that the NFL does not need, you know, L.A. Boston or LA, you know, um Brooklyn maybe this year with LeBron in the finals. The NFL's never needed that. But the sure. NBA's always been a sport built on individual stars. You know, David Stern started that process, which really increased the popularity of the NBA. They were, you know, they had two big ones and then a third that came along in Magic Bird and then Michael. Um, And it was a different time, too, right? Without, you know, phones and, you know, uh, so much programming available um, on demand, etc. But I... I wonder how they – to answer your question, I don't think the ratings are going to be great. Like, even if it's an L.A.-Brooklyn thing and you get the top two markets in the country, with, by the way, recognizable stars and Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant, you know, um, for starters, I still think that there's just been a, a slow bleed to these NBA ratings and the popularity of the sport over a long period of time now. So what is the solution
3: well, a few things. Number one, David Stern didn't start star marketing. That started with Wilton and Bill Russell back in the '60s. So um, he just had he just happened to have some great stars to market in Magic and Bird and Michael. But um, the league NBA has always been about its stars, going back to George Mikan, the first star. I mean, that's what they literally promoted: George Mikan versus the Knicks in a you know in a very famous uh, billboard or, or you know. Um, uh, on the facade of Madison Square Garden, it said George Mikan versus the Knicks. It didn't say Minneapolis Lakers versus the Knicks. Yeah, but don't it said you
1: George th- Mike the yeah. Knicks? but don't you think <laughs> the and Celtics were a brand him. more than any team? Uh, yeah, I don't know. But
3: it was still it was still marketed as Russell and Chamberlain.
1: Okay, go back
3: and look at how the league was covered. Was well,
1: you're Russell much older than I am. <laughs> I am. I'm very
3: old. <laughs> um, so that's how it was. It's always been that way in the NBA. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, just, you know. If if it is Brooklyn and the Lakers, I think, or Brooklyn and the Clippers, I should say, yeah, I, I'm not sure the ratings will will be gigantic. I think they'll be good just because it is New York and L.A. But to your point, I mean, the 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 NBA has always, you know, had this this kind of dual duality to it. On the one hand, it wants to be about you know competition and the greatest athletes in the world doing what they do but the league's never been especially competitive. (laughs) You know, like, there's only a handful of teams that have ever won NBA championships. There's not that many, really, you know. Um, You know, and if you get down to it, you know, there's been about 10 teams that have won. I forget what the exact number is. I have to go back and look. But there's, like, 10 teams have won, like, 80% of all the championships in the history of the leagues, right? So so the NBA has always had that problem, um, and they... They try to do things that they say will increase competition, and they never actually increase competition. (laughs) Um, It's just that that's just kind of how it's built, because one great player has an outsized impact because there's only five players on the court at a time. You know, it's not nine like baseball. It's not 11 like football. It's five. And so if you have a superstar, then that superstar tends to help win more games than in any other sport. And that's just kind of how basketball is as a sport there's not a lot that you can do about that i don't think so yeah it's all, it's a problem for the nba um i think Yeah, i shouldn't say a problem it's a, it's it's a reality of the nba right that um you know you're not going to have uh utahs and milwaukee's break through unless some odd things happen like it happened this year you know, with regard to the playoffs and, and teams that you thought were going to be there, like the Lakers, going out early.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've mentioned many times before that since 2004, there's not one NBA champion that didn't have an obvious top five superstar on their team. Yeah. I mean, the Pistons of 04 was probably the last team where you could debate didn't have an obvious top five superstar. You right. have to have that. To win. Uh, Actually, that'll lead into a conversation about the team that we watched last night here in a moment. But I want to get back to LeBron for a second, because you mentioned all of the reasons that people say they don't want to watch, you know, LeBron. And, you know, what you didn't add is the uh, LeBron's social media presence, his politics Mm -hmm. um, and the impact that perhaps that had um, in a negative way. Do you think it did?
3: Oh, I, I, I suppose it could, but again, I always think in that vein, those people aren't watching the NBA anyway, Kevin. You know, the people that complain about LeBron's politics, they're not watching the NBA. That, that's not a sport they would watch anyway, you know, because LeBron's hardly the only player to speak out on po- on political issues in the last year. I mean, you know, the Warriors famously said, well, no, we're not going to meet with Trump. We're just not. We're not going. We're we're not going and then he disinvited them, but they had already said they weren't coming. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, you know, you can't get disinvited from something you're not coming to, right? So um there they you know, so the people that rail about Lebron and they bring up China as if they give a damn about the Uyghurs in China. <laughs> Never heard about the Uyghurs in China, it's just a convenient foil to bash LeBron or to bash Steve Kerr, or to bash anybody else whose politics they disagree with. Um so I don't think that is a large cross-section of people who actually are NBA fans. I think those are political people who want to take shots at people that are, that are big targets, um, and for the most part. Um, I think there is more, to me, I think LeBron you know, angers real NBA fans who, who view him as one of the main catalysts for this power, you know, player empowerment era where players decide, you know, two or three players decide they're going to play together and they manipulate the system so that they can play together for whatever team they want to play for. Um, And that kind of rubs some fans, I think, the wrong way because they feel like their team has no chance of winning. You know, like when Golden State got together, when Durant decided to play with Golden State, there were a lot of people who are legitimate NBA fans that were like, what's the point of playing? Nobody's going to beat this team. They got, like, four superstars on it. You know what I mean? So, um, so there's people who don't like LeBron because of that. But I think the main reason people don't like LeBron is because he wins a lot. You know, he wins. His teams tend to make the finals. He was in nine straight finals until this year. So, so his teams tend to be there, and they tend to win a lot, and people don't like that.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I, I think it's more, um, but I don't, I, I agree with you, and this is something that I said a few weeks ago. I'm like, really? So his politics are turning people off. Let's see what the NBA Finals ratings look like without him in it, because ultimately, um, he draws a lot of eyeballs, even if you view him to be polarizing, which might be an exaggeration. Yeah. But I do think with LeBron, unlike Michael and even Kobe. There is this sense of theatrics. There's this sense of, you know, um, needing what you described, you know, the super team uh, to win. There's no doubt that's a big part of it. I think the flopping, I think the writhing around on the floor drives people, basketball fans, you know, people who are paying mm-hmm. attention to the sport, um, you know, nuts after a while, Um I think I think there's a lot there to him, you know, that either you, you, you I think I think that there is sort of a polar polarize, polarizing aspect um, to him. Um, so let's talk about the games in these series because I've actually enjoyed them. I think the intensity, I think the NBA like the NHL is completely different in the postseason than it is the regular season. Let's start with last night. Do you think Jokic should have been tossed with a flagrant two for what he did?
3: You know, by the strict interpretation of the rule, yeah, but you know, I have seen and you have seen and then people have seen over the years, you know, referees don't always strictly interpret the rule, right? I mean, you know, like so so if you're gonna call that, okay, fine. It's yeah, he swung, he made connect, he made contact, he followed through by the strict definition of what a flagrant two is, that was a flagrant two but we see a lot of stuff that is supposed to be called that doesn't get called to the letter of the law, right? And I think that inconsistency is what drives people crazy. Um, so, yeah, he should have been ejected, but, you know, then people should be called for grabbing and holding and and for all the other fouls that we see that don't get called. And I think that's where people were frustrated. Now, look, I don't think it would have made any difference Phoenix going to win that series. You know, they didn't win... If they hadn't won tomorrow, you know, last night they would have won tomorrow night. I mean, that series was over, um, so that that did not materially affect that, that series at all. It may have affected that game, and I still am not sure Phoenix wouldn't have won the game even if Jokic had, had still played. Um, but you know, it was you know, it was kind of an iffy call to me.
1: Yeah, I I hated it. I I thought the intent was to swipe the ball. He got a little bit of the nose, um, a little bit of maybe the shoulder. The player wasn't hurt. To me, that was a flagrant one. Um, And maybe by definition, they could have stretched it to a flagrant two, but given the circumstances, and not just because he's the MVP, but because we're in the postseason. I'll tell you what, the game earlier in the day, the um, Milwaukee-Brooklyn game, was as physical a game as we've seen in the postseason. I mean, there were bodies all over the floor. There was blood everywhere um I did not think Milwaukee David had a chance after the first two and I'm clearly aware of what happens when venues change in a, in a seven game mm-hmm. series I just didn't yeah. think I thought Giannis looked completely uncomfortable against a set defense and they weren't going to play en- enough transition but here we are no Harden um which we didn't have anyway and now maybe no Kyrie And I thought something was revealed about Durant in this game that I never considered before, and I'm curious as to what you think. I thought Durant, when Kyrie Irving left the game yesterday, had to become what LeBron is great at doing, what Steph is great at doing, what some of the big men like Jokic and even Embiid to a certain degree are great at doing, and that is facilitating and making everybody else better. I think Durant is not comfortable in that role and I thought it really hurt them I mean they didn't have other guys that stepped up but I didn't think he gave them a chance to step up and I think this series is over if Harden and Kyrie don't come back if one of the two don't come back what do you think
3: um well I I don't think it's over if Kyrie doesn't play I mean look Kevin Durant's capable of getting 50 you know what I mean he's that good and so if you got a guy on your team that can score 50 you have a chance to win the game I don't care who else is on the floor with him um and there been two of the last three games are gonna be in Brooklyn. So I don't think the series is over. I certainly think Milwaukee's got a great shot at it now. Um, you know, that was not, you know, a comeback in forty eight hours ankle. Now he may play on it, he may try. But he's not going to be anywhere close to himself, Kyrie. I mean, um, even if he does play in Game Five or Game Six, I and mean, that was a bad turn of the ankle. That's a couple of weeks kind of thing. That you know, under normal circumstances, so I, I, you know he's not going to be anywhere close to himself in terms of his quickness and his ability to get to the rim. Um, now, can he be a decoy? Yeah, I suppose. But still, it's not good. He's not going to be nearly as effective. Um, but you're right about Durant. In one sense, I mean, Kevin is not—that's not his natural thing to facilitate. Kevin's a scorer, puts the ball in the basket. He does that better than anybody in the league. You know, so you know, I'm not going to try to ask him to do stuff that he's not great at doing. What he's great at doing is scoring. Those other guys have to play better. You know, Blake Griffin didn't play well. He played great the first two games. He did not play well in in Milwaukee. Um, they're going to need a lot of different. Joe Harris has been terrible the last two games. The shooting that's guy wise, you're right. Just 50% on threes. He, yeah. He's got to make those shots. So, and he's going to still get shots because the floor's still going to tilt toward Durant. So you got to knock those shots down. You know, you have to make some of those shots. Some of their other players that that you don't, you know, count on whether it's a Bruce Brown or a Jeff Green or people like that. Some of them, somebody's going to have to come through and have a big game for them. You don't have to score 30, but somebody's going to have to score 20. You know, somebody's got to help Durant. Um, but yeah, Milwaukee, look, Milwaukee, you, your, your word that you used before was the right word, uncomfortable. The Bucks finally made made Brooklyn feel uncomfortable. I mean, P.J. Tucker was physical with Durant. He, he he fouled him a lot. Again, didn't get called all the time, <laughs> you know, but he, he put his body on him. He, he got in his airspace. He made it difficult for him. He made him less efficient. He didn't stop him. He just made him less efficient. Um, so... The question for game five is who's going to make who feel uncomfortable? You know, and we saw, you know, guys like Connaughton play well and Bryn Forbes play good in Milwaukee. One of them's got to play good in Brooklyn. You know, it's the same thing. One of those guys has to play well in Brooklyn. P.J. Tucker made three threes in Milwaukee. He's got to make a couple in Brooklyn if they're going to win the series because I guarantee you they're going to put Giannis on the line a lot in the next three games.
1: Yeah, shooting 30.4% from the free-throw line in this series. It's terrible. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. the 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 other i want to just rip through these other series real quickly and then i'll let you run i I appreciate the time so chris paul was phenomenal last night i mean for those of you that didn't see this he had 37 points on 14 of 19 he didn't even attempt a three-pointer he was nine for nine from the free throw line his assist to turnover ratio in this series is outrageous it's like 10 to one (laughs) um and he's 36 years old and last night he became just the third player in nba history to go for 35 or more points um, at 36 years of age or older. Um, The other two are Kareem and Carl Malone. He's been brilliant in this postseason, and he looked healthy last night too. I mean, he'd been playing hurt in the first series. Uh, How good good is Phoenix? And, you know, as somebody who's a big NBA guy like you are, um, are you rooting for Chris Paul? Because I am. Well,
3: look, sure. I want Chris Paul. You know, of course you want Chris Paul to have an opportunity to be in the finals. He's never had a chance to be in, and it's almost always involved just outrageously bad luck with injuries um, in the playoffs where he just has not been able to play at a, at, at his highest level. Um, you're right. He does look healthier. He looked healthier, much healthier in this series than it is against the Lakers when he suffered the shoulder injury. Right. And now they're going to get at least a week off. So, I mean, he's he should be good to go, I would think, for the conference finals. Um, So sure yeah you want Chris Paul if you're a basketball fan he's been a great player for a long time he has not been able to push through and uh, you know he's on a really good team now that has a chance to push through he's been great you know Phoenix has been great look I thought the Lakers were going to beat him in the first round I'll cop to that because the Lakers have a championship team with championship experience Um, and Phoenix and I don't you know injuries to me are I don't want to say they're an excuse I'm not saying I mean I'm not being dismissive of them I know the Lakers aren't as good without Anthony Davis but look everybody's got injuries everybody's got something somebody that's not a hundred percent and you and you still have to try to win the game I mean Chris Paul was not a hundred percent in that series and they still and Phoenix still took the Lakers apart you know what I mean so um So everybody's got something to deal with this time of year. Uh, And so Phoenix has been much better than I thought they would be. They are clearly, to me, the best team in the West right now. Uh, No matter who wins between Utah and the Clippers, I think it's going to be a hell of a conference final.
1: You know, this is really an interesting development here because we just don't see this without the formation of a super team, as you were talking about earlier with LeBron. And that is two years ago, a team that was 19-63. and And they didn't form a super team here. And here they are in the no. Western Conference Finals, and they may very well – well, they wouldn't be favored over Utah. And to be honest with you, I think it would be really close with the Clippers, too, from an odds-making standpoint. But they've got a chance to make it to the NBA Finals two years after going 19-63. What does that say for – you know, I'm a Wizards fan. I'm always, I'm always looking <laughs> was for – I am going to say, there's
3: hope, there's hope for the Wizards. Yeah, but, but
1: is there? Because this may be a total aberration.
3: Well, look. Obviously, you don't you don't expect that to happen two years after winning 19 games. I think it's a combination of, you know, Chris Paul being a, a Hall of Fame caliber point guard, and you know, when you have one of those, it it changes your team. Devin Booker's really good. Uh, and some of the young players, and this is where they have separated themselves from the Wizards, is that they have drafted some impactful young players like Mikhail Bridges and
1: DeAndre, DeAndre Ayton.
3: Ayton and yeah. people like, like that. You know, they've got three or four really good young players that they have either drafted or they've brought in, like Campaign, that have helped them a lot. And that's where they separate from the Wizards, who have not done that yet. <laughs> so um, those guys, you know, guys like Bridges. You know, three and D wings who can do more, who can facilitate, who can do other things. Some of us have been, you know, pounding the lectern saying the Washington team should be investing in some of those guys, those types of guys, because that's the NBA now. You need people who can do that, um, who can guard multiple positions and score. It can't – you can't have, you know, somebody that does one or the other. They have to do both. The good news is there's dozens of them available if you just pick one. Um, so maybe the Wizards will do that in this coming draft. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, it's not – it is a surprise. It is not what you would expect. It is, um, you know, some luck. But but it's also – Phoenix has been really good all year, Kevin. They've been excellent. Um, and I've talked to Monty Williams about this. I wrote about this back in November him saying that they really were a team that benefited from playing in the bubble they that won team. all their Remember, games. When, when 8-0, they went eight no, they didn't make the playoffs because they were so far behind going into the bubble. But that time together, that month and a half of practice in Phoenix and then going to Orlando and then winning every game, he says really helped them a lot in terms of knowing who they were, knowing how they had to play to win games and and play and doing it together. And then you add a Chris Paul to a team that's already kind of figuring things out, and it just you know you had this chemistry, this alchemy that that's led to this great season.
1: Um, Devin Booker or Bradley Beal, right now you can pick either one.
3: Ah, uh, well, I mean it's really close. And in a vacuum, I would probably say Beal, just because I think you know. Well, I don't know. It's it's very close. Um, it's very close. They're they're about the same. That's where again I think the comparisons to the Wizards are, are accurate in some ways. Um, I do think Beal is his ability to his increasing ability to draw fouls. He's become very good at it the last couple of years. He gets to the foul line a lot, um, and so maybe in a photo I'd say Bradley over over Booker, but it's really close, Kevin.
1: Yeah, I I think for me it would be Booker. Um, Slightly different because Tatum's just bigger. Tatum or Beal?
3: Oh, Tatum. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, Tatum's a a scorer, rebounder, you know, he's just, uh, you know.
1: Yeah. I, I've Somebody had this, told me, this uh, yeah,
3: yeah a, a long time ago. If there's two great players, take the taller one. This is, this is basketball. Come on, this is simple. Um, <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> can the Clippers beat Utah? The other night was I thought I thought it was Playoff P's best game. I think he's been very inconsistent yeah. at, at times, horrible even when the numbers have shown differently. He's been confused at times on the court. Um, yeah. If can they come back and beat Utah?
3: I mean, I think they can. <clears throat> I mean, I had the Clippers going to the finals because I just think you know they've got the best guy. To me, Kawhi Leonard's the best guy, you know. So, um, but that doesn't mean they will. Utah's Remember, Utah's doing this without Mike Conley. Yep. You know, he hasn't played at all right. in this series. So, um, uh, Utah's very good. Um, and I, maybe I'm I may not be giving Utah the respect that a number one seed deserves. I grant you that, Kevin. That may be a failing of mine. Uh, I think the Clippers can win, but I think Utah's been the better team so far. If that makes sense, and usually this time of year the better team wins.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's funny because this was the series. I, I've uh, other than the Wizards before they got dispatched. I, I really want I want to see it work for Kawhi. I loved the run yeah. two years ago. He's my favorite player in the in the sport. Um, I think he's arguably the best two-way player in the sport. He's certainly in the top two or three in that conversation. Um, And, you know, he's taken a bit of a knock here, you know, for last year in the bubble, and even this year early when they were down 2 nothing, I mean, I, I couldn't believe some criticism of him. Uh, I, I wonder if people actually watch. I think he's one of the best clutch performers in recent years as well. You know, people forget if he doesn't get hurt in game one against the Warriors, the Warriors don't win that title that year. He was great, um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and better than he was when, when he was the NBA uh, Finals MVP with the Spurs the first time. I hope they can do it, but I agree with you. I think Utah not only is very good, man, I think that they're one of the teams that play five-man basketball a lot. You know, mm-hmm. Phoenix, Phoenix does the same thing. They're not an ISO team. I mean, they can be, a, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't ISO possessions with Mitchell, who is turning into a superstar um, if he wasn't there already. Um, but I think if they win tonight, I, I, th- I think tonight's key. I think if they win tonight... Kawhi figures out a way in Game Five or Game Seven to win one, on, you know, like he did in Dallas um, on the road.
3: Yeah. yeah, no, it's obviously the longer the series goes, the more favors the Clippers because one game, I still think he's the best player amongst those two teams. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah, he he could find a way to win, but yeah, I mean, I think Game you know Game Four it's certainly the series. If Utah wins that, they'll win the series.
1: Um, Philly, Atlanta. I mean, Philly's come back two good games. Got after that opener, I was like, man, Atlanta can really score, and they're really hard yeah, to guard. They <clears throat> but, can, but Philly's yeah.
3: an excellent defensive team. This so good, so good defensively. So good defensively. You know, they really are good defensively. You know, so, I mean, they just have they have what nobody else has. They have Ben Simmons. Nobody else has a guy like Ben Simmons. Yeah, you know that you can just stick on whoever is hot. And just say, no, stop that guy. You know, and he's six nine, Kevin. That's the thing. Like, he's not six four, he's six nine. So a guy like Trey Young, is good as Trey His Young. His program
1: is, height is six eleven. My my son and I were debating this. He said, How big is Ben Simmons? And I said, He's listed at six eleven. And he goes, Well, he's standing right next to, the, to, to Tobias Harris, and he doesn't look that yeah. much taller. No, so, I think
3: he's six nine. You know, it's that pro it's program. Yeah, height. you know what that is.
1: <laughs> he is oh, Give That's me, the, give me is. the comp to Ben Simmons over the years. I, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine a few weeks ago, a guy that is so good in every aspect of the game but literally cannot shoot the basketball. Who's the comp?
3: Well, it's hard to find one because of the unique skill set he has. You know, you could say, for example, Michael Cooper was not a great scorer, but Michael Cooper could make a three. Oh, he He was a great three-point shooter. shooter. Yeah, you know, he was a very good three-point shooter, right? And so we know Ben Simmons doesn't do that, right? So you know, but it's not really a good to me. I mean, I can't think of anybody offhand that I would make a comp. It's like he's a, it's like he is a more skilled Daryl Walker. You know what I mean? Like Daryl Walker was an excellent defensive player who could guard multiple positions, could not really shoot it all that well was more of a post up guy but but Ben is so much more dynamic with the ball in his hands he can get to the rim he can finish you know um offensively you can you can post him up and he'll score um so yeah i mean there's not really nobody jumps to mind I'm, i I would have to really sit down and think about it well here's so the you, here's the reach
1: here's the reach mm-hmm. and bear and bear with me on this you know when Magic came into the league, Magic had that set shot that was not very consistent, um, mm-hmm. and he was obviously a, a, a bit of a transformational player, being a you know a six foot nine inch point guard and with the passing skills, Magic was nowhere near the defender Simmons is. Trust me, uh, we we both know mm-hmm. that Magic right. became a consistent shooter with that set shot that he would find. And he, you know, he developed other ways to score like the, the baby hook, etc. Um, But I think th- it's not a great comparison, but I couldn't come up with any other other than Jason Kidd couldn't shoot either, but he was 6'2". You know, this guy's 6'10", yeah. 6'9". I do love yeah. watching him play. I think he's also a badass competitor too.
3: He is a unique player. I mean there's not like I said there's nobody else in the league has one of those guys on their team. Yeah. So he's unique. he's not look, Magic's the greatest passer of all time, period end of sense, I don't care about the assists, I don't care how many more. Yeah. He's the greatest passer of all time, period. Yep. Um so this guy's not Magic as a passer. But to your point, Magic is not the defender this guy is. So it's it's a hard comp to find somebody that that has the skill sets that Ben Simmons has, but that's why I mean Philly is a really, really good defensive team, um, and they make it, they're so long, now they're going to miss Danny Green, don't get me wrong, that's, that's going to hurt them, and it makes that series more competitive, but I still think Philly will grind out two more wins over Atlanta and get to the conference final. All
1: right, um, last one, who plays in the finals, who wins it?
3: Um, it's hard not to think of Phoenix right now in, out of the West, now, I have seen teams that have been on a roll like that who have and I remember this distinctly when Utah got to the finals in '97, in, in and they just steamrolled everybody, but then they had two weeks off before they played the Bulls. And I, thought, I never thought they got their, their timing back, they never got their you know, their, their mojo back that they had had. And so you wonder if this week off will actually hurt Phoenix in that sense because they are on a real roll right now. Like if you're Phoenix, you want to play tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like you'd love to start the conference finals tomorrow or Wednesday. You know, you don't want to take a week off. Um, so we'll see about that. But Phoenix certainly looks like the best team out west. Um, in the East, I boy, it's with, with with Brooklyn's injuries. You know, it's hard to pick them to either. To both win this series and then beat Philly in the next series, so I think Philly's got a good shot at it now, Kevin. I really do. I think Philly's got a real good shot at this now
1: um yeah, I think I do too I, I think the injuries i'm really i really don't think durant can do this on his own. You said you think he can get fifty i I think without one of the other two guys on the team i don't think mark i don't think Milwaukee will allow him to get fifty and I, and he's. Well got crazy ability but they're going to make him into a playmaker and a facilitator i think he's the least comfortable with that of the top three to five players in the game
3: oh i would agree with you on that but i'm sure they will but brooklyn's going to figure out ways to get him to the elbow as long as he gets to the elbow he's going to shoot over anybody he will shoot over a double team it doesn't matter
1: Uh, pj (laughs) tucker wore him out yesterday man he 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 looked exhausted
3: Physical with him, yeah. and so you wonder if the, you know if he will be allowed to be physical with him in Brooklyn. It just changes with the home team right. when the team is at home for whatever reason.
1: All right, uh, at David Aldridge DC on Twitter. Um, subscribe to the Athletic. Um, Read David on the NBA, on the Washington football team, on all Washington sports. Um, ben, Tarek, Katz Rhiannon, everybody. It's totally worth it. Um, and uh, it's always good to catch up and talk hoops with you. I hope you're well.
3: I hope so. Uh, I am, Kevin. I hope you're well, too, and thank you for having me.
1: You got it. David Aldridge, everybody. Um, A thought on the Packers' latest salvo from Mark Murphy right after this word from one of our sponsors.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine,
1: Uh, Most of you know Mark Murphy was a starting safety on the Super Bowl 17 champion Washington Redskins and um, he's been for a long period of time uh, the president and CEO of the only publicly traded team in American sports the Green Bay Packers. And Mark Murphy's been in the news probably as much in the last two weeks than he's ever been in the news, and it's because of this Aaron Rodgers situation. Last week, um, after saying, by the way, that he did not want this, um, you know, being a a, a a being a story that played out in the media between both sides. Um, He's been a major participant in having it sort of try to play out in the media uh, for the last two weeks. Mark Murphy said a week ago or so um, that Aaron Rodgers, the Aaron Rodgers situation, is dividing the fan base, um, which was a controversial comment. And then over the weekend, at an event at Lambeau Field, um, which he was speaking at, um, he said um, the following um, when asked about the Aaron Rodgers situation. Mark Murphy, the, the, the team president and CEO, said, quote, I'm often reminded of Ted Thompson, as most of you know, just a great general manager who passed away earlier this year. Ted Thompson, the longtime Green Bay Packers general manager who worked under Mark Murphy. Murphy continued. He said, Thompson often talked about Aaron that he's, uh, and it wasn't just Aaron, it was a lot of different players, but he would say, he's a complicated fella, so I'll just say that, closed quote. So you heard him, he caught himself when he realized that he was using Ted Thompson's quote about Aaron to say, oh, it was about other players, but then he said, I'll just say that as well. He called Aaron Rodgers a complicated fella. Well, Everybody sort of understands to a certain degree that Aaron Rodgers is complicated. I mean, he's estranged from his family. He basically cut off all of his family members. He had a relationship in which he bought not one but two homes with Danica Patrick, then cut it off. You know, I don't know what his issues are. We've heard over the years that he's not the easiest guy to get along with. um, And that once he's made up his mind, you know, he moves on. And I understand that Mark Murphy is trying to say, hey, you know, this Aaron Rodgers, he, you know, and using somebody else who said it, Ted Thompson, a great general manager. Um, he's a complicated fella. And in back-to-back weeks, what Mark Murphy has done is to say, hey, this isn't just our fault. It's his fault, too. You don't understand what we're working with. We're, we're working with a really complicated guy. Um, and this thing, you know, this Aaron Rodgers situation is dividing the fan base, Mark Murphy needs to shut up. He said that he wasn't going to let this play out in public in the media, and he's created two headline grabbers in back-to-back weeks. And this is a guy that you know went to Colgate and was an AD at Northwestern and has been a longtime president and CEO of an NFL team. Um, he is coming off as too defensive, and by the way, ultimately it is more the team's fault. Even if he is a complicated fella, you know, the team, all they had to do is do what Minnesota did this year. Tell Kirk Cousins, hey, we might be drafting a quarterback. Hell the Chicago Bears told Andy Dalton, who was there for a cup of coffee at that point, hey, we might be drafting a quarterback. And the Packers, and a lot of you would say, uh-uh, uh-uh, management, employees management's got a responsibility to do what's best for the organization and they have the right to make any decision and if that makes him uncomfortable well then he's the wrong guy he shouldn't be threatened by Jordan Love that's not the point the point is that Aaron Rodgers is really the face and the value in the Green Bay Packers right now and has been since their last great quarterback Brett Favre there's no reason why they couldn't have gone to him and said look We're considering doing this. We want to let you know. We wanted to get your thoughts on it. You know, we don't know how long you'll be here. This is a play for the future, and it may be a play just to create some trade bait for the future in Jordan Love. Uh, But they didn't do that. They cut him out of the process, and with that, this complicated fella made it personal. And the Packers are in a bind right now. I still think I would bet if I was forced to wager, which I would not on this situation, that he ends up as a Green Bay Packer. Um, But, man, I don't know how they get from where they are now to him playing on opening day against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, That's it for the day. Thanks to J.P. Finley. Thanks to David Aldridge. uh, Thanks to all of you. Subscribe if you haven't done that. Doesn't cost you anything. Helps us. Also, don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple Podcasts. Back tomorrow with Tommy. Have a great day.